Hello, it's Sunday morning. It's time for another episode of Words and Work. Today we are working on the words side of that. We're going to have Charlie Birch, who's a local writer. Uh, a lot of his stuff right now goes into a publication called The Battleground, uh, which he will talk about. And he came to my attention when he wrote an article about the local music scene for that publication. And um, we ended up hitting it off online after that. So uh, I'm going to be talking to Charlie about uh, everything from the local music scene to uh, writing and uh, a little bit about music and sports. And uh, let's just go ahead and get started with it, shall we? Okay, we have Charlie Birch on today, and uh, Charlie came to my attention. Why don't you know? We'll, we'll start here, and then we'll go from there. I, it came to my attention because of a article he wrote about a recent controversy in the local music scene, and uh, um, and you're still relatively new to Tucson, but I, so I wanted to know about how you found out about it and what prompted you to write the article. Well, it's funny you say that because I, I, I think of myself as being relatively new to Tucson, but I've been here since 2000. So uh, it's an odd thing that one can be in a place for two decades and still still feel relatively new, but I do. Um, and I think with regard to the music scene in particular, at least as as you know, evidenced at that um, concert and 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 the album that uh, the concert was intended to celebrate. Um, Obviously, that goes back to the 70s. And so from, from, from the perspective of the people who you know, were involved in, in the concert, yeah, I am a newcomer. So I, <laughs> um, I came to Tucson uh, to teach at the U of A, and I did that for a while. Um, and then eventually uh, I, I stopped doing it. But, um, but you know, I, I have good memories of, of teaching at the U of A, and, you know, and, and I'm still here. And there are many things I love about Tucson, although... Uh, it's a hard place sometimes to, um, you know, to to get what you need. But um, but I but I, I do I do still love it here. So um, let's talk about the article because you know I I, I just want to talk a little bit about it because you know I think I think it 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 helps tell us a little bit about the kind of writing you do and and, mm -hmm. and so so what. Um, you know, I'd rather people read the article. <laughs> so, so I don't want you to give a full summary of it, but could you talk about the controversy and, and, and what you think it brought to light and, and why you decided to write about it? Okay. So, so for those of you that don't know that there was a, um, a, a three uh, LP um, album um, that was put together. Um, uh, Rich Hopkins uh, of, um, Sidewanderers was was the key figure in, in in that process that attempts to kind of capture the diversity of what became called desert rock, um, which kind of grew out of the you know the punk movement to a certain extent, but also you know country and western, um, especially the Baker, Bakersfield sound of the '60s, um, starting in the late '70s in Tucson, and and, and this collection. Um, I think it goes from maybe 78 to like 93 or 94. I forget the exact endpoints. Um, and, and so to celebrate this release, they um, decided to hold a, a benefit concert for Casa Maria Soup Kitchen, which is, which is a great uh, you know, thing, to, thing to do at, at Hotel Congress. 
um, where a lot of the um, artists who were included in this three LP compilation were going to perform. And some of them haven't performed uh, a lot in recent years. Um, there have been various reunions for the Hotel Congress's uh, annual Labor Day Festival, which I think started in 2005. But, you know, most of the bands playing, you know, only perform intermittently at this point, and they're getting on in years. Um, so the headliner was going to be Giant Sand. Of course, they've been performing in various, you know, um, lineups pretty consistently for the past several decades in and around Tucson. Um, you know, the Sidewinders, who've also re been re reunited for a while, but don't play that much, we're going to play. Um, but the problem, um, the, the controversy had to do with the fact that on the original lineup um, for this benefit concert, um, Chuck Wagon and the Wheels um, was one of the, the bands scheduled to perform. <clears throat> and the problem is that Chuck Maltzby, who um, the lead singer and, and um, sort of, the lead, you know, the sort of the main person in Chuck Wagon and the Wheels, is an unrepentant neo-Nazi who had been writing about, um, you know, various conspiracy theories and, and spreading uh, vile anti-Semitic, um, you know, content for, for the better part of a decade, um, at least. Um, you know, I don't know the full how far back it goes, but there was a lot of stuff that was online. He got banned from some social media platforms, um, but this was this was not really uh, a secret uh, within. Um, the circles of people who've, who've known him for a long time. And so when it became clear that, you know, his band was being, you know, included in this benefit, obviously people, you know, including people who were supposed to perform at the show became really upset. And there was talk of boycotting it. Um, the Tucson Sentinel um, ran a story about, you know, the fact that, you know, there, there was this controversy and that he didn't, you know, Chuck Wagon and the wheels were going to perform. Um, and then at some point, um, the invitation to perform was withdrawn and, um, you know, some people still didn't want to go to the show, even though the band wasn't performing because they felt like it, you know, that, that they shouldn't have been invited in the first place. And in, in general, you know, this whole controversy, um, distracted from, from what could have been a, a very positive event without all this negativity, if they just hadn't invited, um, Chuck Wagner the wheels to perform in the first place. So the article I wrote was, was um, trying, and, and I write for, I'll explain, I write for a magazine based in Europe called The Battleground. Um, it's a magazine of culture and politics. And, and for the most part, that they, they, they focus on European content. But this particular story was interesting to them because I write for them, obviously, from Tucson, because, um, you know, obviously in Europe right now, you're having a lot of, uh, you know, concern about authoritarian populism and resurgent um, neo-Nazi um, movements, uh, you know, other kinds of fascism. And um, there's a lot of interest in Europe and, and what's been happening in the United States along similar lines. And so the fact that, you know, we had this controversy, um, you know, here in Tucson was of a lot of interest to some of the people in, in Europe um, that, you know, I, who were you know, I, I suggesting that I write about it. And so I wrote a piece that was uh, about going to the show and, and, and trying to be positive about the things I really do love about the Tucson music scene, while also addressing uh, the controversy and, and, and you know, what it said about maybe the, the blind spots of that scene. Yeah, and, and what was interesting to me, um, and, and I realized that it might have been out of the scope of your article or you were trying to provide an example, because I've watched... Uh, 
I guess alternative scenes, I guess is the right way to put it in, in, in different cities, you know, whether it's, I mean, we, we actually just had an article in the New York Times about some problems with uh, the local tattoo scene um, because of, of, of a certain character who I'd rather not mention. Yeah. Um, that do you feel like, you know, and, and, I, and I guess this was kind of the point of your of, of where you were going to that, that these, it was almost like these people were on a. I don't know, on a basketball team together or they'd fought in the same platoon and, and they felt you know, like they couldn't call out one of their brothers or sisters. I mean, is, is that sort of the yeah, gist of I, it? And, I mean, and, is that, and is that something you've seen in other places? Too? Yeah, I think, um, well, one thing about the Tucson scene and why it holds special appeal for people, not just here, but, but I mean, it's, it's disproportionately popular in Europe. Uh, <laughs> like there's a, there's a strong uh, you know affection for for giant sand calexico other, you know um uh, other related you know musicians you know over the years have gone to europe and and played to large audiences there's a fascination in europe specifically with the desert and and the cactus and the, the, the westerns you know so so we benefit from that and the musicians in particular who go and play in europe and sell their records there have benefited from that and so i think there's something about the Tucson scene as a particular appeal. And, and part of that appeal has to do with just like these fantasies of the landscape and that are often, you know, in, based on, you know, erroneous, um, you know, information or that overlook a lot of, you know, very bad things that were done to, to the native inhabitants or that have done, been done subsequently. But there is a kind of fantasy about this place that the music scene um, has benefited from and has helped to, you know, to, to, to reinforce and perpetuate. Um, but also it, 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 it's, it's a place where unlike most, um, alternative scenes, um, in, in the United States, um, in particular, but even elsewhere, um, when, uh, over time they tend to dissipate and people go on to other places and then, and then there might be some sort of, you know, nostalgia for when things were really cool and say, I don't know, Minneapolis in 1982, but it's not like, you know, um, Husker Du and Soul Asylum and Prince were ever hanging out together, right? Like there's a kind of mutual recognition that they were great musicians, but it wasn't like a scene in the same way that the Tucson scene was, where these people actually knew each other and were kind of more cohesively, you know, linked, even if they had their differences of opinion about politics or personal matters, there was a sense that it was a community um, that that was meaningful. And then people left to go to Los Angeles or New York and try to make it big, but then they came back. Uh, an, an absurdly, you know, high percentage of the people who were part of that music scene and ended up coming back to Tucson and, you know, doing interesting things. Some of them make music, some of them are writers, you know, uh, like Brian Smith, obviously, at the Tucson Weekly. Um, and, and so that's kind of had, a, had an interesting effect on how the scene is perceived. Like, the, you know, it's the fact that people came back makes it seem like it was more closely knit to begin with than it actually was. And I don't think anybody really liked Chuck Maltzby that much even back then, to be honest. Um, but but <laughs> so to use your basketball team analogy, I think um, it, it's not like you, there's people on your team that, you know, you, you know, or in your platoon, you know, that you work with them in that specific capacity. And maybe the basketball player, this guy is good at shooting, you know, from outside, but you don't want to hang out with him. But within the context of your basketball team, you still kind of treat him as a brother or or you treat her as a sister. And then. There's this kind of thing that happens where you, you only think about the basketball team context and just leave everything else out. You know, you're like, well, I'm not going to hang out with her or him outside of the context of basketball. But when I'm in the context of basketball, I'm going to include them. 
And I think that's kind of what happened in this instance. It's like, well, we, we don't really spend time with this guy and we don't really agree with him as far as we know, like what he's into by, by any means. But, you know, the band was important in a certain way for, for kind of like, you know, kind of uh, getting a certain amount of attention brought to the scene back in the late 70s, early 80s for the, the country and Western aspects of that scene. And so we're going we're gonna to respect that legacy by inviting him to perform and not worry about you know what he's been doing since and and that was a colossal mistake obviously because you know there's a difference between differences of political opinion and and seeming to provide a platform for someone who's a nazi that's <laughs> those two things are not the same right yeah. um but i think that's what happened well i mean you know and i, I don't want to dwell on this too much because i want to talk about yeah. other yeah. aspects of your life but i can think of a couple of people who I'm friends with in the scene, whose politics are, you know, way to the right of mine, but they're not that guy, you know, right. and, and that's right. something that, that I think um, was not appreciated by people uh, who were kind of defending this, but um, I want to talk about you for a minute. Uh, yeah, sure. your, your, your background. So, uh, you know, how did you grow up? When did you decide that writing was your thing? Well, um, I grew up, um, I was born in Pennsylvania and then um, spent my uh, teenage years outside of Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, my mom and dad were both, they were editors. My dad was a kind of a, a, a scientific editor. My mom was a scientific and medical editor. But, but they, you know, they, they were good at language and, and interested in, 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 you know, reading. And uh, my dad used to read New York Times. He was, he was from New York City and he read the New York Times you know, religiously and would read articles out loud when I was little and stuff from the New Yorker. And so I kind of heard that kind of writing, you know, being spoken out loud from a very young age. And that sort of, you know, if you hear it, even if you're not really paying attention to it, or you don't understand all the reference points, eventually it kind of becomes part of who you are. And so, you know, for as long as I can remember, I was, I was pretty good at writing. Um, um, and then I, I ended up going to uh, college on the West Coast, um, in the Bay Area at UC Berkeley. Uh, and then after I finished my undergraduate, I stayed there for, for graduate school. And while um, I was in graduate school, starting you know, my first year there, um, some friends and I created a magazine, a, a kind of a, a zine, I guess, initially uh, called Bad Subjects, Political Education for Everyday Life, which was uh, an attempt to kind of to bring some of what we were learning in the classroom and in our in, in our research into um, a kind of uh, a context that was not academic but was informed by some of the good things that we saw, you know, in, in our academic work, and to specifically to focus on kind of culture and politics in a way that was smart but not. Um, not sort of like encumbered by all of the, the, the sort of things that make reading scholarly research tedious. And so we, we created this zine. And after our first year of just printing it out, actually, I, I printed it illegally at work. I, I worked in a print shop. <laughs> um, we um, got a grant to, to photocopy it and then put it on the, on the internet. And it became one of the first uh, magazines on the internet um, just be by default. And so we were one of the first, like, I think when Yahoo started, we were one of the two, the two political magazines that they listed. And so we're talking like 93, 94. Um, 
you know, and, and because we were early uh, and we had some, you know, some people who were working with us who, who were pretty savvy about how to get us attention in that early, you know, pre-Google environment, um, we ended up um, drawing in readers from around the world and getting, you know, uh, despite the fact that we were just a tiny operation, getting a lot of positive attention. And most of the people who wrote for us ended up um, becoming either successful academics or, or writers, uh, you know, um, my, one of the co-founders uh, is Annalie Newitz, who um, she ended up not getting an academic job when she finished her PhD, but instead became a, a science and technology journalist and a science fiction author um, and, and is quite successful in that capacity. Um, and so, so I, I was part of that collective that had put this magazine out. It was an all-volunteer operation. And over time, I just learned how to write about culture and, and, and in a political way uh, for this publication. And then ever since, I've been doing it in various uh, other venues that have you know, become um, available to me uh, since then. Um, but it's basically the same, the same principle that we, we, we kind of established bad subjects on in, in the early 90s. So, I mean, I, you know, you talk about trying to relate, you know, po politics to culture and stuff. And, and I think we're in a, a moment right now where, because of everything of the last five years, uh, people that are other sorts of cultural figures or other cultural institutions are being called upon to take political stands. And, you know, you as an observer of this for a while, I mean, what, um, what are your thoughts on that, how that's going? Well, well, I think um, one of the things uh, this is so, so tricky to talk about. Uh, I mean, I, I've s as long as I've been able to think about these things in a, in a somewhat intelligent manner, I've thought that you know it, it it would be a good idea to think about the relationship between culture and politics and how culture that's not explicitly political still supports certain kinds of um, political you know, I, I'll say ideologies, um, but, you know, structures, institutions, um, and, you know, conversely, that politics isn't just about, you know, voting or, you know, trying to, like, you know, affect institutions in, 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 a, in a traditional political science way, but about all the things that, that uh, combine together to create, um, uh, you know, a, a particular, uh, the, the, a great Italian um, communist thinker, Antonio Gramsci, talked about um, the block, the political block, which is like a bunch of, you know, different groups that are, are brought together by some sort of, you know, common ground that, that it doesn't exist naturally, but has to be created, um, you know, by people who are trying to like, you know, figure out a way to like uh, make a message appeal to, to, to people who, who don't have a lot in common, maybe, or, or, or who have important differences, but you find a way to bring them together in order to create this, this political block that you can then, you know, um, use as, as part of a movement. Um, and, and so obviously he was interested in doing that from a leftist perspective while simultaneously while being in prison, you know, because Mussolini put him in, in how, under house arrest, seeing how the, the fascists had been able to kind of do the same sort of thing, but, but for, for, you know, far right um, aspirations. Anyway, so, so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I think it's really important to pay attention to the relationship between culture and politics. And for example, just to, in, to bring it into the American context, you know, we never would have gotten Donald Trump in the White House had it not been for like a, a cultural sort of, uh, 
you know, configuration that, that made him appealing, you know, was had to do with him being a reality television star, had to do with the way in, you know, many Americans felt they were not being included in what they were seeing on television or in the movies, um, a general sort of, you know, like a lack of attentiveness to like what it's like to live in, in, you know, places like, you know, I don't know, rural Nebraska or, you know, suburban, you know, uh, Alabama, you know, by people who are making shows basically for the, the so-called liberal elites. And that, that, that's, you know, not really what's going on exactly. But, but certainly I understand where the frustration came from, where people didn't feel represented in the media. And so the Trump, you know, sort of coalition was based on, on appealing to these people and, and getting them to mistake um, culture for politics, you might say, and to mistake, conversely, politics for culture. Um, so, um, and so, so that's one thing to pay a lot of attention to, but simultaneously we have this recent development of, um, you know, uh, the canceling movement where, where, you know, people are, are going and saying, you know, look, this person has done terrible things. We gotta, um, you know, not um, give this person a platform anymore. Um, we have to, to speak up about the, 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 the various wrongdoings that, that, that this person is responsible for. And that's been a really powerful cultural movement and one that has a lot of you know, good things to recommend it, I think. But sometimes it, it, you know, it, it leads down paths that maybe are not entirely productive long-term. Um, so in my own work, I, I try to, to you know, strike a balance and, and perceive the ways in which um, uh, we need to, to, you know, like in my piece, you know, acknowledge, okay, this is, this is a messed up situation. They should never have invited this person to perform at this concert. Mm -hmm. um, we, we can't pretend this isn't happening. Um, we have to call this out, but not in a way where you're just going to say, okay, well, everybody that like, you know, was willing to do this is, is them that they are all, they're all Nazis, you know, <laughs> like that's not helpful. Like you have to be able to establish gradations. And like you were saying, you know, you know, people that are far to the right of you from a political perspective, but they're not like Chuck Maltzby, you know, I mean, and, and we, so, so one of the things I try to do in my, in my writing and in thinking about this stuff is to, is to make room for gray area and not, you know, see things in such absolute terms while maintaining, you know, my, political beliefs, which are pretty far to the left compared to the average American or European for that matter. <laughs> um, um, so I want to talk a little bit about this publication that the, the battleground that is that uh -huh. that's your main outlet. Am I right? Right now it is. Yeah. 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 I, so, so what is it? And, and it's out of Europe. So how did they run across you? Well, um, it's, it, it, it's because um, the, one of the people who works there, um, the, 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 the managing editor, uh, Joel Shalit, was um, in the 90s. I got to know him through Bad Subjects. Um, you know, we had uh, the very early years of Bad Subjects. We, we would have a couple of meetings where we'd invite the community to come. We would put something in the zine in the last page saying, hey, we're going to have a meeting. Come participate. And um, through that, we got um, a guy named John Brady for, who, who was interested in us, and then he brought along to a subsequent meeting his friend Joel, and so Joel became one of our Bad Subjects um, contributors and editors, and then he went to Toronto um, for graduate school and then um, ended up eventually going to Europe. Um, he's currently splits time between Berlin and um, Torino in Italy. And, you know, I, I know because of this relationship I have with him dating back to the early 90s, um, 
when he was involved in creating this new publication, you know, he eventually reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I mostly write about music. He said, we'd like you to, to write about, um, you know, mu music and some other things for us um, on a regular basis. And so, uh, you know, because I like to be able to have a place to write, I, I said yes. Uh, but it's it's um, the European environment is very different than the American one. There there aren't that many independent publications. Um, there's a lot more money for certain kinds of things. Um, like you know, obviously government funds the arts more, but they don't have the same startup mentality um, that Americans just seem seem to take for granted. So. Uh, you know, where, where we used to have like this robust free weekly uh, movement around the United States, which sadly has been largely killed by the Internet, although we still have the Tucson Weekly, at least to an extent, um, you know, Europe never really had that. There weren't that many. Uh, I mean, it's to some extent in Britain, but like on the continent, they just didn't have a lot of publications like this. It was more sort of like, you know, glossy magazines with money behind them. But you didn't find these sort of um, alternative publications that would. Um, write about things in ways that were challenging the, the you know, perceived, you know, sort of the, the expectations about what a magazine could do or should do. So the battleground is an attempt to kind of bring this kind of American mindset, you might say, it, you know, uh, where you're, you're writing about stuff. It's not just what, we write, what the battleground writes covers, but how it covers the stuff, like, you know, paying attention to culture and politics together instead of as most European publications have done, treating culture and politics as very different, as very separate categories. So, um, so coming out of that, that American sort of mindset of like, hey, you've, you know, you can write about anything you want in your free weekly, you know, you can make whatever connections you want, as long as we have the advertising revenue that we're good, you know, Tom, Dan, he can write whatever he wants, wants to write because we have, you know, we have advertisers and we have to fill pages, you know, that, that kind of mindset doesn't no longer exists in the same way, obviously, because the free weeklies have largely dried up in this country, but uh, it has been transposed to the internet to a degree and, the battleground's an attempt to kind of to provide a European equivalent, I would say. Um, yeah. and, and you mentioned being, you know, you're writing a lot about music. I'm, well, listen, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to talk to me because I we barely knew each other and I reached out to you. And you it's, said, it's, a, it's a pleasure. And I'd love to hear, um, the, you know, the, hear more about the National Writers Union. I, I, um, I'll, I'll get you on the list. Thank right. you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, Ted. Take care. Thank you, Charlie, and thank you all for listening. Um, the interview with Charlie ran a little long, but everything was good stuff. So there are two segments of the interview that I am going to post uh, online for those of you that uh, follow the podcast. Uh, you can get those online uh, over the week, and uh, we'll call them bonus episodes. Um, we, uh, Charlie brought up the National Writers Union. Um, we'll be signing him up. Uh, and, uh, we will be having in-person meetings again. Uh, we have not, I don't think we've scheduled a reader for June. Um, but, uh, follow us on Facebook, National Writers Union Tucson. Uh, and, uh, we'd love to have you at one of our meetings. We do uh, a reading and a featured reader it's an open mic so you can um you can bring, bring your own stuff if you'd like bounce it off of us words and work has been a presentation of downtown radio and the national writers union tucson chapter thank you for listening hope to hear from y'all next week <laughs>